This is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Another mass shooting, this time in Maine. 18 people killed. The shooter's still on the loose as the town of Lewiston is basically on lockdown. We'll go in depth. New numbers show the economy is moving up, but a lot of people still are not comfortable. And we'll go in depth into why there's a big disconnect. And a man who got a second chance almost no one gets. Surviving a jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, now using that chance to help others. We start with the mass shooting in Maine. Arlo West lives in Lewiston, where the shootings happened. He's also a forensic audio expert who owns Creative Forensic Services. Arlo, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Uh, how tense is the situation in Lewiston, and, and what sort of situation do you find yourself in, in terms of your own home and perhaps business? Well, everything is locked down, as they say on the news. Um, you know, all businesses are closed, and things are very tense. Um, the suspect is still at large, and, um, you know, there's uh, quite a uh, <clears throat> force of uh, police looking for him now, Um so yeah, things are things are tense. Uh, when I found out last night, uh, uh, yeah, I I loaded my my gun and and had, had it with me ever since. Do a lot of people in that area have guns? Everybody, just about I know here in the state of Maine, does own one. Not 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 everybody, but you know there there's a a huge amount of people here, and we all grew up you know, hunting and fishing. This is a, a beautiful state, sort of like Alaska, I guess, if you want to compare it to, you know, it's like a northern uh, hunting paradise and fishing paradise. So everybody around here really grew up with guns. Not everybody owns one, but I'd say a high majority of people do. Are we talking, Arlo, about hunting rifles or, or you know, pistols? Yeah, I mean, hunting rifles. And, and also there are a lot of uh, people that uh, carry pistols for protection. Um, and there are some, uh, there are a number of people that do uh, own uh, assault rifles like you see um, in the uh, in this latest shooting and in and, and similar shootings. Your nephew, I understand, was in the bar shortly before the shooting took place. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, he was there uh, minutes before, I guess, the uh, suspect uh, went into the building. Now, on this lockdown, people staying inside their homes, uh, we imagine like if we had an earthquake here and things would get locked down, told to stay in your home. Do you have enough uh, provisions uh, to last this out? Because no one knows how long this is going to go. Yeah, I mean, we're 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 pretty much set here, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure there are people that are kind of uh, you know wishing they could get to a, a store for, you know, provisions and things like that. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, you know, it's 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 a risk that uh, you you if you step out, you're uh, you know you're taking a risk, a huge risk, uh, and putting your life in in uh, your hands, basically. So yeah, I mean, you know, nobody's prepared for something like this, of course. And uh, you know, uh, the the community is uh, shook shook up pretty good. I mean, I I wasn't really afraid, uh, other than being afraid for my family members, my wife. Uh, is a uh, hairdresser as well as a, a medical coder. So she works at home like I do. Um, and she's home pretty much for full days of work. And then she uh, occasionally goes in and cuts hair at the salon. So she was coming home last night around seven o'clock. And uh, we were just finding out that this was occurring. So 
she may have actually dr drove past this guy uh, at some point. So it's, it's definitely scary. Those are scary things to think about. Is the town, uh, I, have you been out at all? I mean, is the town basically, uh, you know, sort of a ghost town? Nobody is, is roaming around? Yeah, we live, um, we, we're in, in, a, in a really nice section of the town. Um, and <clears throat> we're sort of on a side street that's very close to a very busy street. And, you know, normally you just hear traffic all day long and then into the night hours, cars coming and going and an occasional police uh, siren here and there or fire department or something to that effect. Um, but it is like a ghost town. I mean, literally all we heard last night were sirens and helicopters flying overhead. I must've heard, I'm not kidding, probably at least uh, 10 helicopters today alone. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on, uh, but most of the vehicles I would assume are probably related to, uh, the hunt for this, uh, suspect. All right. And, and one other, uh, question there, um, in, in terms of, of the, those who were, were killed, uh, unfortunately, and of course those who were injured, it, it's not a very large, I know it's the second largest city in uh, Maine, but I think you got about 38, maybe to 40,000 population. Do you happen to know any of those who were injured or unfortunately killed? Well, um, so here's the thing, officially speaking, the names haven't been released and, you know, it's like a small town. People else. people know, I would presume. Well, they do. And and so I was just going to say, like, you know, Facebook, um, you know, social media places are, are posting things in and probably, you know, they're somewhat correct. I mean, so you can't really believe everything you read on Facebook, but this is some pretty serious stuff. And these are some names that are familiar to me. Uh, so, you know, and until I get an actual confirmation I wouldn't say that I do know anybody, but but look, I'm actually looking at a, a list of names now, and I do actually uh, know some of these people. All right. Arlo Wester, thoughts are with you. Uh, Arlo uh, lives in Lewiston where this mass shooting happened last night. He's also a forensic audio expert and owns uh, Creative Forensic Services. Right now, though, Consumer Watchdog says it has documents that show California's deal with the insurance industry to preserve wildfire coverage is, as Consumer Watchdog puts it, a sham. Here to try to explain is Consumer Watchdog founder and Prop 103 author Harvey Rosenfeld. Harvey, thanks for being with us. Honored to be here. All right. So uh, I, I, I imagine that you have a, a long sort of explanation on why it's a sham. So I am going to ask you to sort of make it as brief as you can for the time that we have. Why do you think it's a sham? Well, the insurance companies said that the only way that they'll ever start selling insurance again to new customers in California is if they get uh, rate relief, if they get deregulation, which means the they want to stop having to comply with the voters' mandate that insurance rates be fair and justified. Um, and so the quid pro quo that the insurance companies offered was, we'll sell, we'll come back and start selling insurance and relieve some of these shortages if you deregulate us. But we actually got a hold of the bill that they've proposed, which is apparently the basis for the insurance commissioner's plan going forward. And there's no quid pro quo. <laughs> there's the, the commitment that the insurance companies say they're going to make to start selling insurance is a sham. It's a fraud. And uh, nothing in that proposal 
will require them to sell a single additional insurance policy to people who can't get it now. So it's basically, it's kind of heads the insurance companies win, tails consumers lose. And, you know, it's I, I don't think it's just the wildfire coverage thing, because I know uh, quite a few people very upset about this whole insurance situation. And uh, they expressed to me they feel that this is basically the insurance company's temper tantrum. They are very upset with California voters, and they're going to punish us by saying, oh, my gosh, we're so poor now. We can't cover any of you. We're pulling out. And uh, a lot of people are losing coverage for not just for uh, you're in a dangerous wildfire area, but just because you made a claim on your home insurance uh, policy a year ago. So we can't cover you moving forward. That's exactly right. You know, the voters passed Proposition 103 35 years ago next month in order to protect themselves against this kind of uh, these machinations, price manipulations, discrimination. The insurance companies have have for 35 years, they fought it in the courts, in the legislature. They've tried to do ballot initiatives to overturn it. We have protected it. Prop 103 has protected Californians. And now the companies are creating shortages and saying, hold with a gun to our head and saying, if you don't allow us to charge as much as we want, we're not going to do new business here in California. And that is within the power of the commissioner right now. The elected commissioner can stop this nonsense immediately. Unfortunately, Ricardo Lara, who is the elected insurance commissioner, is has sort of hopped into the laps of the insurance industry and he's not enforcing the law and he's not making them obey the law. I was going to ask you about that. And I should add that we did reach out to uh, Mr. Lara's office to address uh, your findings, but did not hear back as yet. Uh, but why would he sign off on something that you guys consider to be a sham? Is he in bed with them? Uh, is he a stooge for them? Uh, what is he in your view? Well, uh, I don't I honestly don't understand how somebody could run for this office and then do exactly what the industry is asking him to do, which is to forfeit the power the voters gave him to protect the public against the insurance industry. I, I so, mean, so I got that. But so why do you think he's doing that, though? Well, he's he's clearly doing exactly what they're telling him to do. Why? I fear that it's because he realizes he has no hope of ever uh, getting elected to any public office after this. And uh, and so he's just thrown in a towel. Uh, he might he'll probably go to work for the industry after he leaves office. Well, but, but, uh, but, but wait a minute. But, but but to go back to your point, if if that's your your theory that that, you know, he figures he can't get elected again. So he's kind of gone over in your view to the dark side. Yes. Um, why wouldn't the opposite be true? If he doesn't have to worry about getting elected again, if he doesn't care anymore that constituents are going to have to pull a lever or mark a ballot with his name on it, why wouldn't he go after them with a vengeance? Uh, because it's not it's not who he is. Uh, we from the very first week of his uh, uh, when he was elected uh, back in uh, 2018, uh, we knew that he was not going to be the guy he presented himself as. He 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 told voters when he was running for the office that he would be a progressive champion for consumers and for climate change, uh, for the environment, and he he immediately betrayed that promise. So I just don't think the guy. Uh, you know, there are plenty of politicians in this country and in California who feel like they need to be 
defer to the insurance industry. Unfortunately, he seems to be one of them. I, I, it's inexplicable to me. What's the answer moving forward? Because, you know, these are private companies. They can pull out of the state if, if they want to. We can't force them to stay. Would the ultimate answer be, and would you support a kind of a state insurance program to cover uh, homes? Yeah, uh, actually, we can force them to stay uh, and do business in California on an emergency basis. But the voters gave the commissioner that authority. He hasn't used it in the long run. Uh, by the way, they're never going to leave California. That's a bluff because it's California is the most lucrative state in the nation for home and auto insurance. The companies make a fortune here. They've made four times the national average profits in, on homeowners over the last three decades. So the, to me, the answer is uh, to force them in the short term to come back into the marketplace. But commission doesn't seem to want to do it. In the long term, I think we should pass another law. The legislature should pass a law saying, to the insurance companies, if you don't want to do business in all forms of insurance that we, the people need, you're not going to do business in any line. So you can just leave the state. You can't come back for five years. No company can afford to leave California. It's the biggest insurance market in the nation. All right. Thank you so much. That is uh, Harvey Rosenfield with Consumer Watchdog talking about these insurance problems and their findings that this deal that the insurance commissioner apparently made to get wildfire coverage for homes in California was a sham. Still to come, try to imagine jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge and living to tell about it. We'll talk to one man who defied the odds and is using his good fortune to help others avoid suicide. Right now, the uh, country's economy grew at a nearly 5% annual rate in the July through September quarter, which is more than double the previous quarter. Yet, there is this disconnect. Lots of regular people not feeling so good about it. In fact, more and more people now late on things like car payments and because of high interest rates. Alexander Tomich is Associate Dean and Economist at Boston College. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, what is the balance here? Is this a story of things are good in some areas but bad in others that affect us directly? Or is it also a story of it's election season, the side out of power has to convince everybody that everything is terrible and we're all dying, and the side in power has to convince everyone that everything is great and everything is wonderful? So I would say that the second thing that you said is always the case. You know, election year, not the election year, right? The government, in the people in power always tell you everything is great. Opposition always tells you things are horrible. Uh, so, you know, so that I think we can put uh, to the side because that's never going away. Uh, it is an interesting number. I mean, we see very big growth, 4.9%. And it's not one thing. I mean, it's spread across the board. We have uh, strong consumer spending. We have an increase in inventories, which could be basically gearing up for the Christmas season. Uh, we also see the increase in exports and we see increase in government spending. And I would say the increase in government spending is probably, you know, preparation for the election year. So where is the uh, disconnect? So the disconnect is, you know, how long can we keep this up? Right. So when you look in the anecdotal evidence and in general, 
people have started depleting their savings because people saved a bunch of money during COVID because there was, you know, nothing to do, no place to spend your money. And then they've been spending like crazy since. And finally, you know, the savings are beginning to run out and people are beginning to run up credit card bills. Remember, all of the credit cards are uh, adjustable rates, right? So, you know, since the interest rates have been steadily rising, uh, you know, the maintaining that credit card debt is getting more and more difficult. So people are feeling squeezed that way. The incomes have not kept up with inflation. So, yes, inflation has slowed down, but we have not seen deflation. We have not seen the drop in prices. They are just not rising as fast and the incomes are still not keeping keeping up. And then, you know, you mentioned in your announcement the car loans. And what's important to understand there is a couple of years back, there was a lot of activity in subprime car loans. Because if you remember 2008, 2010, you had subprime mortgages. Then the legislation was passed and it's now not very easy to get the mortgage if you don't qualify for credit. But there is always capital that's looking for high interest and they are willing to take that risk. So a lot of that shifted in auto loans, which are not uh, regulated. So now we have a problem with subprime auto loans because surprisingly enough, people who don't have good credit are having a hard time, you know, maintaining their loans. So there is a little bit of that going on, but the biggest, biggest pressure is twofold. One, incomes are not keeping up, savings are being diminished, and then people do have debt that has variable rates, and those rates are now elevated relative to, say, two years ago or so. Yeah, and you know that it's always made me wonder about the uh, economic uh, religion uh, that we have. That uh, the 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 job market is just going too good, so we've got to cool it off. So we'll raise interest rates, and what we do is we punish the middle class and the people that actually spend the money, so that it's harder for them to buy things they want. So that that, in effect, quote, cools off the economy and gets it the way the bankers wanted. Why is it always that way? Why can it never be for the consumer and against big companies? I, You know, I, I don't know that I agree with what you just said. And I am very biased because I had the personal experience of living through really high inflation. And what it is, is when it starts brewing, when the inflation starts getting out of control, that is always the question. Why do we have to stop the good times from, from, you know, from happening? But the problem is, if you don't stop inflation, then you quickly end up in your late 70s scenario in United States or, you know, high inflation scenarios around the world where inflation gets really, really high and it starts really reducing the economic activity on its own. And at that point, you have a double whammy. There are no jobs to be had and the prices are rising at the same time. So the problem is right now, it feels like we are trying to, you know, just put the damper on, on good, hardworking people. And it's not. It's more like if you don't do it now, it will get out of hand. Once it gets out of hand, it's going to get much worse. So what Fed is looking at right now is... Why haven't we seen this cooling off with all the interest rate rises the raises that they had so far? Right. And I think what it is right now, I don't think they'll do a thing one. They want to see if this is something that will just go away. But if it persists, they will eventually start raising interest rates. But I think before that, you will see again inflation uh upticking. And again, when it all starts, 
trust me, everybody is against the, you know, responsible monetary policy because it looks like it's just putting screws to people, but it's not. It's one of those, if you don't, it's kind of like credit card debt, mm. right? If you don't control yourself, once it gets out of hand, it's much uglier to, to then deal with it later. Right. Alexander Tomich, thank you so much. Associate Dean and Economist at Boston College. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Hollywood actors and studios are meeting again today to try to end the strike and get productions back up and running. Now, this comes after SAG-AFTRA spent yesterday reviewing the latest counteroffer from studios. Back with us is entertainment attorney Trey Lovell. Trey, thanks for being with us. I am. Oh, there you are. Okay, we thought we lost you. I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for being with us. Uh, Tell us uh, what, if anything, you know about if there's been any progress made. Well, I I think they they were supposed to meet, I believe it was yesterday, and they held off um, and then pushed it a day, which I think is good. You know, they're they're kind of getting down to the wire with the networks. It looks like, you know, the the summer 2024 releases may be affected, you know, within the, if the, if the uh, strike continues over the next few weeks, uh, as well as some of the TV shows for, for next year. So I think the studios are getting very, very serious. Um, and I think we're going to start making some really quick strides uh, within, the, at least within the next 10 days. Um, cool. But they're just, you know, the, 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 the real impasse is the compensation. It's the increase in, in the minimum in the minimums for the actors, as well as the streaming revenue, which has just been a a bare knuckle fight this whole time. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the uh, revenue sharing uh, deal on the streaming. Uh, uh, obviously, it looks like the uh, studios have kind of planted their flag there. They weren't going to budge. Uh, the actors union planted its flag there. Uh, they're not going to budge on it. So who who is going to win that fight? Well, this is interesting because the studios are just kind of parroting the deals they gave they had with with the WGA and with the Directors Guild um, in terms of of this of this how how to add to the streaming compensation based on kind of if if the actors are tied to certain certain movies that hit a certain threshold within about ninety days they're going to get this bonus structure like they're going to give to 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 the to the writers. However, the actors are trying to tie it to all subscription revenue. Um, and, and the problem is, if they do that, then then you know after three years, when when the WGA and DGA come up for renewal, they're going to want a piece of the pie too. So the, the producers are really are really resistant to to offering a piece of all the subscription revenue because that, that that's that's just going to lead to a, a snowball effect down the road with all the with all the unions. When all of the strikes began, the writers, the directors, the uh, actors, there were lots of people who said that when uh, the job action comes to an end, Hollywood as we know it would be radically changed. Well, two of the unions have now settled, perhaps SAG after will shortly. Did that prophecy turn out to be true, do you think? Is Hollywood going to be radically changed? No, not at this point. It's not going to be radically changed. Um, it, you know, it, it, some change was needed uh, because of, of the different uh, revenue structures and the way that the studios and the networks, you know, <clears throat> earn the income. So, so change was inevitable. Um, and the fact that the other two unions were, were largely able to get their, you know, their ducks in order. SAG's going to come, you know, sooner than later, I believe. Um, and then it'll be just kind of trying to, to get back from behind. 
Um, but no, I don't think anything has been drastically changed. If anything, some of the TV shows have have been have, may get pushed. Some of the release dates may get pushed. Um, but everything will resume under this new structure based on on these three new union contracts with the respective guilds. Um, and I think you know they're, they're going to make up for a lot of uh, a lot of lost time. All right. So let's say that uh, SAG after settles uh, the strike, they make a deal. They're happy with it. it uh, part of the fallout does appear to be that the creators' unions are are in a new position of power. But there's other fallout too. Can uh, is there fear that the studios down the road are going to say, you know what, now we've got to pony up more dough. It is too expensive for us to produce in Hollywood, and that's going to hurt the local economy because they're going to really start pushing to produce elsewhere where it's cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think what's happening is 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 the, the studios are really, really uh, careful in terms of setting the standard. Uh, if they start, If they let the union start getting into their – their total revenue streams uh, through calculations like that, um, as well as kind of these artificial intelligence scenarios, which haven't been resolved, um, it, it's going to create a, a big problem down the road in terms of their overhead, uh, in terms of some other things that you, that you suggested in terms of shooting here, maybe going elsewhere. So they're just, they can never go backwards. If they do a deal now with SAG, they can never undo it down the road. It's always just going to go forward. And they, 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 the, the unions largely watch each other. So you've got to treat them, treat them somewhat you know, the, the same or, 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 or equally. Um, and so SAG is making it tough. Um, SAG is, is kind of carving out some different terms than, than the other unions had agreed to. Uh, and these are, are, are barrier-breaking terms. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it's, I, I, think, I, think, I think they're going to agree to, to – a model largely posed by the by the networks, but networks are just going to have to come up with a lot more in terms of what that bonus structure is going to be. But yeah, I mean, it's really preserving the future. I mean, I mean that you know, the, you know, the networks and studios can live with this deal for the next three years, even even as SAG offered it. It's what's beyond that. And, it, and it's the whole entertainment industry that they could be affected. All right. Entertainment attorney Trey Lovell, thanks for joining us. SAG after the studios back at the table, uh, continuing their negotiations. Maybe, maybe, who knows, we might be close to an end and a deal on the strike. Uh, before we get on to our next story, you may have heard our earlier segment with consumer watchdog founder Harvey Rosenfield on California's deal with insurance companies over wildfire coverage. He claimed it's all a... Sham. Well, we just got a statement from California Insurance Commissioner Ricardo Lara's office. The statement says consumer watchdogs latest cynical claims hide the truth that the group has earned millions of dollars signing off on rate increases while denying the reality that insurance has become impossible for some Californians to find at any price. It goes on to say that the department's solutions honed through conversations with the legislature, governor, and the California congressional delegation, in addition to countless stakeholders, are embodied in the commissioner's California sustainable insurance strategy. So that's their statement. All right. We want to introduce you to uh, Kevin Hines. He is one of 36 people to uh, have ever survived a jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. He survived a suicide attempt 23 years ago, and he's sharing his life's journey since that moment with the goal of helping others who are struggling with mental health issues. He's out with a new book called The Art of Being Broken, How Storytelling Saves Lives. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
So uh, give us a little background uh, first so we understand uh, the journey that you've made and where it began. Uh, This was a suicide attempt off the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, What led you to that place? What led me to my attempt that is more than 99.9% fatal usually uh, was despair, depression, specifically bipolar disorder with psychotic features, hearing voices in my head, auditory hallucinations telling me I had to die, that I had no other option, that it was inevitable. What I realized today is that suicide is never the solution to our problems. It is the problem, and suicidal ideations are the greatest liars we know. We don't have to listen to them. How old were you at the time? I was 19 when I left off the Golden Gate Bridge, and I did not want to die. I believed I had to, and those are two categorically different things. And I was in an insurmountable amount of lethal emotional pain, which is truly the common denominator of anyone who dies this way. Do you remember after you jumped, did you have a a brief, quick second where you instantly regretted it? Actually, uh, uh, first of all, it's very common to have that. And yes, I did. The millisecond my hands left the rail and my legs cleared it, I had an instantaneous regret for my actions and the absolute recognition that I just made the greatest mistake in my life. And it was likely too late. Um, in, in the water, uh, as I was drowning, a sea lion circled beneath me, bumping me to the surface, keeping me afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me. Uh, when when the Coast Guard boat arrived, the officers were wonderful and phenomenal. They saved me there after the sea lion saved me initially. They got me to Cavallo Point, where I, an ambulance took me to the hospital. And in the hospital, one of the foremost back surgeons in the world uh, Dr. Jonathan Levin, who I just reunited with after 22 years, um, saved me the ability to stand, walk, and run. I'm I'm the number I'm number 26 to survive the Golden Gate Bridge wow. jump of actually 39 now, and of us 26 only uh, of us 39 survivors, only 26 remain alive today. Many have died of natural causes or old age. Uh, 19 have come forward to say they all had the exact same instant regret that I had because they recognized that their thoughts did not have to become their actions. They could have simply been their thoughts. Now, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you mentioned uh, you were in this place where uh, part of the problems that you had, you were hearing voices in your head. You had these uh, feelings that uh, I've heard other people describe them. They say, it's something you can't escape from. It's an enemy that is chasing you, but it's inside your head. There's nowhere you can go to get away from it. How did you get away from it? That's a great question, and I think that there there is somewhere you can go. There, there is treatment. It does exist, and, and a lot. Some people can't avail of it. What I will tell you is, there are so many things that us as individuals who live with uh, brain health issues, brain diseases, we can do that are non-clinical if we can't afford clinical care. Uh, and those things are exercising, eating anti-inflammatory foods, educating yourself as you, as to your diagnosis so you can survive it, and and then doing all the things that are science-backed, evidence-informed, proven to benefit brain, mind, behavioral, mental, physical health, and well-being. And a lot of those things you can find on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kevin Hines. There are 800 videos there, all designed to help people all around the world stay right here. Let's talk about your book, because it has an interesting title, The Art of Being Broken, How Storytelling Saves Lives. How? Yes, uh, stories are 22 times more memorable than statistics or facts or PowerPoints. When you tell a story that is ingrained in hope, healing, and recovery, and help-seeking behaviors in a non-sensationalistic way, in an educational manner, while being entertaining, 
uh, there's a lot of humor in my book. Um, you find a way to reach people in excruciating brain and mental pain. Uh, and as I travel the world and have done so for the last 23 years, while living with chronic thoughts of suicide, I've never attempted again. And I outline in the book the two techniques to survive suicidal ideations every time. Uh, and, 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 and the reason stories are so effective. And listen, storytelling has been a part of human history for the, since the dawn of, uh, of humans, since the dawn of man. And uh, when, when it was painted on rocks in ancient times, uh, to the hieroglyphics in Egypt, to the old Western individuals used to travel around telling stories and folktales from people of the past. So it's been ingrained in our society and in our culture forever. And stories are so effective because uh, the neuropathways of the brain sync up with the storyteller, whether they read it, whether they see it, or whether they meet the person in person. Um, and, uh, and your brain basically syncs up with the storyteller. You have a sense of empathy. Then you go home and you do the work to change and potentially save your own life. All right. Hundreds of thousands of people have said, my story saved their life. I don't own that. I give a message. I'm a conduit. They go home. They do the work. They're saving their own lives. All right. Kevin Hines, uh, thank you so much for joining us to talk to us today about your journey. Uh, tried to commit suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. One of the very, very few people who survived then plunge. That's going to do it for KNX In-Depth today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.